Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast, where we interview highly successful workplace wellness executives, experts, and entrepreneurs, and learn how they have found success where happiness meets business profitability. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast, and it's my pleasure to introduce today Nicole P. Jones. Now, Nicole is a, a certified executive coach with Nicole Jones Coaching. Um, she has been uh, a speaker. She has been a director in the investor relations and communications world. Um, but very, very close to my uh, interest and my heart is we share music as a passion. Uh, she is and just a, a, just a, she is a lifelong musician, and I want to hear how music. Has, has powered her journey just like it's powered mine. Nicole, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on today's show. I'm so excited. So excited Absolutely. to be here and so excited to kind of talk about this music business. Yeah, we're going to talk about all of that stuff. Now, by the way, you are in Washington, D.C. right now. Is that correct? Yes, I'm just right outside of D.C. I'm in a place called Alexandria, Virginia. Okay, I hope you're keeping safe in, in the whole new world that we find ourselves in. The whole new world, yes. <laughs> I'm not really leaving my house, so I'm keeping safe, yes. All right, so, so Nicole, we were talking a little bit before we got started, you know, about, you know, journeys and yeah. just, the, just, the, just the power of people's stories. And, and I, I'm particularly drawn to yours because, you know, you've been, in my view, really you've you've experienced and become the master of transferable skills right you know you have this powerful music background want to hear all about it but you've been able to take that into the world of executive coaching to find great success tell us how you got started and what are the pivots and and the the the, the pieces of your journey that brought you today to where you are today yeah, so thank you for that, because I, I don't know if I'm always talking about my music background. I think many people know that I come from a music background, but I'm not really talking about it. So this is great. Um, you know, I probably, like yourself, started out uh, in music as a very young child, started singing. I almost feel like my mom would say right out of the womb, like I always was humming or singing some kind of song. Uh, and I always learned, I always knew how to sing by ear. So I wasn't playing an instrument until fifth grade. I started taking the viola that became my passion, really got heavy into classical music. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I started taking the piano because the viola is an alto clef for those people who are musicians. Um, and for me to sing, I really didn't know how to read treble or bass clef. So I decided I'll take the piano, I'll learn a little bit of piano and then, you know, sight singing and things will be easy for me. Well, I thought that I was going to be a pediatrician. I said, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a pediatrician. My life has always been about service, serving others and taking care of others. And so that's what I thought my goal was going to be. Got into college first couple of years at University of Virginia and was like, don't think I'm feeling this uh, doctor thing at all. And uh, I fell back on my music. I mean, music was always there. It never left. I was singing for teacher weddings. I was singing for church. I was singing for other big events. Uh, national anthems, all that kind of stuff. And was also singing an acapella group at University of Virginia. Got to give a shout out to the Silhouettes. Um, and I sang in that group for a long time. And then my second year, the summer after my second year, I kind of had a meltdown and was like, I just don't know what I want to be. Mm. And what I thought I wanted to be is just not aligning anymore. And at that point in time, I started realizing how strong 
um, it is that we feel we need to be something else for other people. Mm. So this whole time I thought I wanted to be a doctor because maybe my parents wanted me to be a doctor or I had said it in the universe. So that meant that I needed to do it. Yeah. So I had a discussion with them. No, that's not what we thought. Do your music if that's what you feel you wanted to do. And to be honest with you, me doing my music or getting a degree in music made me feel like I was going to be a teacher. Mm. And I didn't want to be a teacher. I have the utmost respect for teachers, but I didn't see that being my claim to fame, I mm-hmm. guess, if I say it that way. Yeah. And uh, so I went back to University of Virginia. By this time, I have not become a music major, and I'm just declaring So that meant all of the prerequisites, early, early music uh, courses, I'm behind it. So I was taking 22 credits, 21 credits each semester for my last two years to graduate on time. Like, what was was I thinking? (laughs) The hardest thing I'd ever done. I stopped singing in my acapella group one semester so I could kind of just get myself together and understand the strategy that I wanted to do. Um, but I got a degree in music, all classical. So if you're a classical person, kudos to you. Um, but it was just musicology, you know, singing, writing, that kind of thing. Um, but I had a teacher there who was a jazz teacher, jazz vocalist. Mm-hmm. And I just was mesmerized by her. And while I did my classical music, I also knew in my recital that I could do a jazz tune. And after I did the jazz tune, I was like, that's it. Like, I want to go and do more music. What else can I do? And I had a friend who was um, getting his master's, and he was like, have you ever heard of Berkeley College of Music? And I'm like, in California? Uh, or just Berkeley. First he said Berkeley. And I was like, California? He's like, no, Berkeley College of Music in Boston. No. So I went to go check it out. I actually had an old high school mate who was going there at the time, and hung out with him and really fell in love with the school. It was so international. I think as an American, you were a minority there. There was, it's kids from all over the world. Um, And I decided that's where I wanted to go. So after UVA, I went up there and really started my music. I mean, it just blossomed from there. I was able to study with some really amazing teachers um, and focus on music production or actually music performance was more of what I was kind of focusing on and studied jazz like no one's business. Like if I thought I knew it before, I, I really didn't. <laughs> and, took, and, and it just, you know, I, I took some courses where all you did was just, just sing music. I mean, sing jazz the entire time. Like I wasn't learning anything. I was just basically adding more songs under my repertoire. So it was fascinating. Um, but learning and meeting people from different cultures and languages and that kind of thing was something that was very key to me as a child too. I was always this curious person. And so being there led me to get to some amazing events overseas. Um, and when people say, hey, come visit me over in Italy or Switzerland or whatever, I mean, I was hopping on the plane. Yeah. I had a place to stay, I could hang out. Um, so music really was my life. I mean, it was from, you know, like I said, five years old, five years old, all the way into my twenties of performing, working with different types of band, doing background music, studio work, that kind of thing, any genre. But at the time, jazz was really my focus. Yeah. 
you know, it, it's, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing that journey because I know you, you don't really talk much about your music because now we're in the professional world, right? The big companies, like, right? Like, you know, professional the, enough, yeah, right? Nobody's, nobody's, nobody's interested in my music, but the truth is, and, and this is where I really appreciate your story, music has been a central thread. And I can see how a musician is also a storyteller. A musician is also a teacher. A musician is also a healer. Right, so even if you didn't do the 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 you know the doctor, the, the traditional medical healing, yeah. here you are in the corporate world, healing people with your assessments and your executive coaching and your knowledge, um, it's all transferable. And 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 by the way, your journey is very similar to mine. I was for many years confused about how I could, for once, bring this thing called music, which is my spirit's language, my soul's language, yeah. into the world. And I think finally, when you sort of surrender to the fact that, wait a second, I'm a teacher, even though it was music, I'm actually just a teacher, or I'm actually a coach or a healer, you know, and these things are all transferable. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that, right? Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Now, now, thank you. Um, this, by the way, is my son. Thank you, Ike. <laughs> he just brought me a cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, nice son. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, Given that you're here now uh, and, and, you know, you, you've done, um, you know, some amazing things um, in the world of storytelling. For example, you were on a TEDx uh, speaking um, uh, event that I really enjoyed. Um, tell us how you've woven some of these transferable skills like the, the storytelling, the music into what you do today. How have you sort of brought music forward, even if it's not at the forefront? How have you sort of what did you get from jazz? that makes you such a successful coach today? Uh, well, you know, jazz is, you know, you have straight ahead jazz, right? It, it follows a, a very unique structure. Um, but as a singer, uh, when you first look at the music, it's very simple, right? It's just, it's just notes on a page and lyrics on a page. And if you sing it like that, it's a very simple song. And that was the one thing about jazz that I was like, why are people making this to be like, it's just the greatest stuff. It's just a simple song. But where I learned it to be beyond just simple was the idea of scat singing and improvisation, right? And learning how to improv with people and thinking on your feet and doing things a little differently and thinking out of the box really was my sweet spot. And being like, you know what? Yes, the music is still here. I can get up on a stage and, and talk. I can draw this out of... CEOs or other leaders and say, Hey, like, just kind of be free. Like, let's live a little bit. Like, let's just let's use the stage. Let's, you know, then my performance kind of starts coming out and people look at me like, Oh, I didn't know you. Were you a big speaker back in the day? <laughs> Former. <laughs> musician, And I use all those skills for my music, you know, and it's, yeah. it's understanding, you know, like the pauses, like, you know, as a musician, you know, the breaks, the pauses, the certain accents on words or the certain accents on a note. Those things are very important when you're dealing with people. And I believe that as a musician, I just am able to translate it in a very different way than people that may come from a different place. Yeah. If you understand what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I, I absolutely love the connection you've made with improvisation and leadership. Uh, I can't tell you how many CEOs I've come across who want a script. <laughs> they want, give us, what do I say first and second in this conversation with my team? What do I do? You know, it's like they want a script. And sometimes there is no script. 
right? It's, it's improvisation in the moment and, and you've, you've mastered that in a different domain and now you're teaching that in, in this corporate world. You know, on that note, tell us about your, your corporate business and, and uh, the, the, the people you serve. You know, whom do you serve? What challenges do they experience when you meet them? And, and let's get into how you help them. Yeah. So, you know, as you said, I'm an executive coach. Uh, wasn't sure if that's the route that I wanted to go into, but decided probably midway through my certification that, you know, I left this industry. I left corporate. Leaving music, went into corporate. It kind of made sense. Like I understood some of the pain points. And so now being an executive coach, I mean, I help leaders who sometimes have forgotten like their potential, right? Just really unlocking their true potential because Lots of times as a leader, you have people that are under you reporting to you 24-7 and it's about getting the job done. Let's meet the mission, the vision, the goals, values, all that stuff. That when you have a, a quiet moment, you're like, am I really realizing my own vision? Like, do I know where I want to go? Where do I want to go with my career? Where do I want to take this company? And so it's really helping leaders unlock that potential that they already have. But it's like kind of going back and remembering you know, what is it that I really have always wanted to do? And in some cases, that's dealing with people that also need to transition and pivot like I did. You know, once they kind of get in that quiet spot and work with me and say, you know what? Yeah, I know I say I want to do this, but I actually don't think I want to. <laughs> like, I think I want to, you know, my passion is elsewhere. So we deal with those people as well. Very interesting. Um, you know, <clears throat> I, I remember um, having... <laughs> Really, I'd probably be a great customer uh, for you, you know, <laughs> in that sense. A few years ago, when I was in the corporate world, I did not know what I, where I fit and what I wanted to be. And I think it was so valuable to find someone who would listen to me and would take me deep into who I am and help me expose, you know, the truth for me. I can't tell you how miserable I would have been if I had continued doing some of the things I was doing in the corporate space. How do you guide people who need to discover themselves um, to the light of who they are? I mean, for everyone, it's not leaving the company. No. Uh, you know, not, that's not the point. But it's how do you help them to discover their fit in the world? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I feel like in our, in our inner being, we always know what we want to be. We say we know. We have these conversations with friends. We're talking the talk, right? Um, but I get real. And after all of the noise and them going back and forth with me, I'll just be like, let's lean in. Mm -hmm. If all the stars were aligned, you could stand on the mountaintop and say what you wanted to be or do right now. No judgment. No one else heard you. But now it's just me in the room, right? Who's no judgment, safe space. What is it that you would want to be doing? And I'm telling you, I feel like 99% of the time, the people that are like, oh, I don't know, I, you know, I'm just struggling with this. They're not struggling. They're just struggling to say it out loud because they don't want to be judged. And they don't want someone to say, why would you ever do that? Like, oh, you're not going to make enough money. You're not. Everyone has what they want to say, right? But every time, it doesn't matter what level they are, we get quiet. Come into me. Let's, let's talk about this. What's really going on here? What is it you really want to do, but you're afraid to say it out loud? Mm. And then they say it. I always wanted to be a teacher. Or, you know what? I don't know if I really want to climb the executive ladder. Like, I've just been kind of been pushed in this, in this direction. I don't know. I don't know if I'm a good leader. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know. So it's like all of a sudden, all these fears and questions start coming out that they've never shared with anybody. I mean, I have people, different sexes, races, whatever, all of a sudden I ask that one question and the tears flow. Wow. Flow, discovery calls. People are tearing up like, oh, I've never had anybody ask me that question. And it's like they've been giving themselves the permission to just be like, I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm just going to be who I want to be in this moment with this woman. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how, isn't it amazing how we get hired for technical skills, ability to achieve this result in five weeks, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. And in the end, it's really who we are on the table and who we are and our personalities and our skill, our, sorry, our emotions and our strengths. These are the things that, really determine whether we're happy in our work or not. You know, I, another thing that I, I you know, wanted to kind of ask you because you're an expert in this space is how are people that you're seeing, how are people dealing with the, the new world we're in, you know, COVID-19? I mean, if you think about how before this big pandemic, leadership or teamwork or any of these softer skills were done at the water cooler. Like it's not about your technical... Be at the office. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not about how good you are at punching in data. It's about your relationships with people. How is this new reality that we're in, where everybody's got to be on Zoom, for example, um, or, you know, where everybody's careful, six feet, all that stuff. How is this affecting leadership and teamwork in your your observation? Um, Look, I think that the biggest... uh, bell that has gone off for a lot of people is that you can actually do it remotely. Um, Most people were like, you have to be at the office. We don't have a lot of part-time people that get to stay at home. We don't do a four-day week and Fridays. You're, you know, there are some old school people are like, we're working. You're at the office. And how quickly a pandemic has said, nope, you're not at the office. We're all working from home and everyone's still kind of successful. Isn't that interesting (laughs) how that has happened? Um, so it's also opened people to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't think we could do it. And now I don't know if we actually want to go back mm. to being at the office. Mm. And that's been kind of a struggle. I was talking to a CFO the other day that's like, we're, we're trying to figure out if we even want to go back or if we want to just set up hotel-like scenarios where you just may have to go in for like a big board meeting or that kind of thing. Or if there's a big team group meeting that you feel you need to kind of be in person um, but you have some of that, of the, the realization of like, you know, we, we can do it, but then you still have, I'm not feeling I'm getting that touch point with people. Yeah. And how do we do that? Yeah. Or now that we're working from home, I don't feel like I have that control. Mm-hmm. I don't know what people are doing, you know? And so there, people are having this reflection and realization time where it's like, yeah, let's talk about that control. because. Did you need that? Is, is it really that you need people in the office or is it really about the control, right? You need to mm-hmm. feel like you're figuring out that people are doing the task that they said they were going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, trying to put different things in place for those types of people or leaders who are having kind of a hard time letting go, mm-hmm. I guess I should say that, you know what, I'm a firm believer and also there's, there's data out there and there's things that you see in the workplace all the time that when you just allow people to kind of work in the confinements of how they want to work, mm-hmm. they will actually perform for you. 
But when you're constant with the st structure and you've got to be here at nine and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you've got to, uh, the, some people just don't do well with that. Yeah. And I have found some people get up and do well, just like rolling out of their bed, wanting to come up and do work on their computer at five o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that's what they want to do. And then there's people that are like, kids are bed and now we're back on the computers until two o'clock in the morning. If the work is getting done, then the work is getting done. Yeah. And I think it's just trying to understand like, you know, you're starting to see how certain people in, in a company work and that can be okay as long as they're getting the work done. It doesn't yeah. have to be like how you want it to get done. Yeah. No, I, <clears throat> that reminds me of, uh, I think there's a management or leadership philosophy called managing by walking around. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, you know, it's, it's, I leave. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where, um, not everyone can manage by walking around anymore because, you know, a lot of people may be at home. I, I wonder how, um, how one can still create those emotional connections and sort of deeper trust building uh, uh, situations when you may or may not be able to manage by walking around. But, you know, a separate topic, you know, tell us a little bit about how you know, you see these softer skills that we've been talking about impacting the bottom line. You know, a lot of people that I talk to, they, they, they don't want to hear the fluffy stuff. They don't want to hear, you know. They don't want to hear about your happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't want to hear, let's be, let's they all be happy. happy. Yeah. They want to hear about the, pro yeah, they want to hear about the profit, okay? Which, by the way, is why I call my podcast and business Profitable Happiness because yeah. the science is clear on the happiness. but People don't get the connection between happiness and profit. What has been your experience um, along those lines in, in making that connection about soft skills for, for leaders? I mean, look, if I just go back to just my time personally in corporate first, before we, we kind of shift to yeah, yeah. what I see, um, I always felt that. I always felt like, you know, if you didn't act a certain way or, or didn't um, participate a certain way, then it was kind of like, you know what, you know, there's the touchy feely people, they're not going to be good for the team or, or whatever. And, and I was able to balance, like I had a really good balance in terms of like, you know, I can be tough and firm where I need to be, but also like, I'm very empathetic soul. And I lead with empathy and all that I do kindness, happiness, all that stuff is they're my values. And for what we're seeing now for a lot of people, um, it's kind of tough for that touchy feely. Um, it, it's it's for for a long time it's been frowned upon, right? Like we don't we're not going to be empathetic players. We're going to tell people what to do, how to do it. If we need to yell, if we need to do this, and honestly, that doesn't actually get people motivated and and getting them loyal and wanting to trust you. That breaks trust. When people feel they can't come to you and talk to you about things that are going on because you're going to yell at them or you're not going to have a, a kind ear when they're telling you what's going on. It really breaks the trust. So if you think that that's going to get you your bottom line in the long term, it doesn't. In the short term, it always feels like, yeah, I'm in charge and I'm getting this done. But in the long term, people leave. People leave. People lose trust in you. They become, they're no longer loyal. Um, and then they leave. And then what do you do? Like companies spend over what four? I think it's like $400 billion or something like that in terms of, the whole packaging around employee retention and, and then having to train people. I mean, there's so much money that's spent when you just feel like if you could just start shifting the personalities, the mindsets of people to be more open, more empathetic, 
lead with different types of values, you would keep so many more people there and so many more people happy. But people, unfortunately, don't always feel that way. And so it is a little bit of tug of war and it is a little bit of push. I mean, I have to be firm with a lot of people. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, think, I think you have a, a lot of people who focus on the what they want to achieve from their companies and sometimes don't focus as much as they could on the who is going to help them achieve those things, which really is where we... we yeah, the, the what and the, and the who, but also the profit before people. You know, mm. when you put the profit before people, and get, I get it, like I see both sides, right? We, we can see both sides, but we also see that when you put people before profit, they're going to help you with the profit. They're yeah. going to Google. They're going to be on your team. Yeah. Do you have any... Um, if, if I, if, let's say someone asked you... Uh, to give your one big piece of advice <laughs> to uh, a corporate leader who may be struggling from the profit more important <laughs> than the people thing, how do you help them make the you know the mindset shift to recognize that the goose <laughs> is what's producing these profit eggs, and you got to take care of that goose? How do you help people with that small shift from profit to people? Um. I, well, I really think that a lot, and this may be a weird way of going about it, but um, I'm really big into listening. Mm. Uh, and I feel that leaders have, you know, their agenda of what they want to do. They present it to the, the company and everyone's on board or they're supposed to be. You get buy-in. Um, but there are times when you need to listen more and talk less. Mm. And really, really, when I say listen, what I feel sometimes people listen like, oh, can't wait for my turn. I've listened. <laughs> Not what I want us to do is do blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but you didn't listen. You know, and sometimes I think you need to have the opportunity to sit at a table. If you're giving people an opportunity to sit at the table to listen, maybe the decision need, doesn't need to be made right then. And you sleep on it and you come back the next day to make a decision. If it's not time, if it's not mission critical, okay? But I feel like, Things are just talked about quickly. We're done. The CEO or the head lead is making the decision, and now people haven't been haven't been heard. Mm. And listening and really understanding where people are coming from and taking them from where they are at that point is very very important. Like meet people where they are, and lots of times that is a very difficult thing to do personally and professionally just to meet people where they are because there's judgment they're not smart enough you know whatever that is and i really feel like it's important just to listen to why something may not work or why something may work for a certain team member or for a group of employees no that's powerful stuff powerful stuff i hope people are listening <laughs> right <laughs> I'm just to like chime in real quick. yeah 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 so um so nicole what uh what, what are you currently most excited about any any projects that you want to share anything that's uh top of mind that that you want to get out there in the world right now uh, well i am working on a book with one Ooh. of my partners um it's gonna be a business book some tips things that we've learned uh in the industry but kind of how we're gonna flip it for the next generation and and people that are you know entrepreneurs or like i said just a millennial gen zer um, kind of vibe. So that's a book that we're working on. I don't know when it's going to be done and I don't know what the title is going to be, but I'm excited. <laughs> and, and, you're, and you're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm working on it. So that's something that I'm, um, that I'm doing. I'm always thinking about 
other opportunities in terms of helping, especially where we are right now. Um, you know, it is a virtual kind of community. I've always done most of my coaching virtually. Um, so for me, it wasn't a surprise when we had to go online. I've been dealing with that for a long time. Um, but trying to come up with, you know, I have a couple things under my belt around some team ideas um, that, you know, maybe of interest at some point when I kind of get it all together. But that's where I'm, that's kind of where I'm kind of going, looking yeah. at some of the team ideas. I mean, I know that's something that you're kind of involved in as well. Yeah. And um, I think it's important for, for companies to be able to look at that aspect to kind of peel back the layers for teams. You have all different types of people that work on a team and understanding personalities and where people fit and that kind of thing, I think is super important. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, in fact, you know, of all the things one could work on in our space, um, I found the most exciting uh, area to be teams, um, you know, partially because that's where everybody shows up, right? Like the yeah. leaders are there, the employees yeah. are there. We, we, we all have to use teams formally or informally. We have to do some kind of teaming in yeah. order to get anything done, right? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very I'm particularly focused on that, just like you've mentioned. <laughs> well, I mean, I just... Look, there's a there's a, a program that I uh, work on. It's um, it's a full program. It's called Result System, but also there's part within that which is called Core Needs. And Core Needs is really about people understanding what their tank needs to be filled with mm. when they're at work and when they're in a team. And so that's an area that I really want to start bringing forward to companies more because I don't think that we always understand the baggage that people come to a company with and what sometimes holds them back, right? We spend a lot of time as coaches um, coaching internal blocks for people. Mm -hmm. And baggage is a big one that I see. It's like, well, that's how I did it at another company or that's how someone made me feel at another company. And so that's why I'm not speaking up in a meeting here. And, you know, so there's a lot of things to uncover. And I just think understanding people's core needs and what fills that gas tank within their being as just a solo individual, but also as a con contributor in a group or a team, I think is very important. Yeah, no, and thank you for sharing your voice and for doing so in your unique, jazzy <laughs> way. <laughs> because, um, you know, the world really does need to, to think both in and outside the box. And I really appreciate you sharing your insights, Nicole. I appreciate you being on our show. Oh, you're welcome. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> now, how can people get a hold of you if uh, someone wants to either learn more about you or maybe hire you or, or, or work with you in some way? How would they get a hold of you? Sure, they can get a hold of me. Um, you know, I have a website. It's Nicole Jones Coaching. Okay. Um, you can also get a hold of me at Nicole at NicoleJonesCoaching.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn under Nicole P. Jones as the P always. <laughs> okay, all right. Look, I have a very common name. So Nicole yeah. Jones, you know, people are like, how can I find you? I'm like, oh, they put a P, put the P. <laughs> uh, put the trees, but that doesn't really matter. Just put the P. So yeah. uh, Nicole P. Jones. I'm on Facebook, you know, Nicole Jones Coaching, Instagram, Nicole Jones Coaching. But, um, you know, that's how they can get in touch with me and I get back and we can discuss whatever. All right. I, we will make sure to include all of those in the show notes. And once again, Nicole P. Jones, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a joy. Thank All you. Right. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember... 
get happy first and success will follow.